0: Hello and welcome to Ascend Higher, the podcast of True Freedom Trust. We're a UK-based charity that holds to the historic Christian understanding of what the Bible teaches about sex and relationships. We provide teaching, pastoral support and conferences, as well as local support groups. Each quarter we produce a magazine called Ascend, with a range of articles, reviews and personal stories all dealing with the issues about what it's like to be a Christian attracted to others of the same sex. You can sign up to receive your free copy of Ascend by visiting our website, truefreedomtrust.co.uk. For the summer 2021 edition of Ascend, I interviewed Andrew Goddard, a Christian minister and tutor in ethics, about what he's learned from three years' involvement with the Church of England's Living in Love and Faith project. He shares with us some of his wisdom on how to disagree well, particularly around the area of biblical sexuality. Let's listen in. Hello there, Andrew. It's lovely to have you with us today, and um, let me just introduce you. I believe you are the Reverend Canon Dr. Andrew Goddard, but I hope it's okay just to call you Andrew. Is that okay with you? Much
1: prefer that, Stuart. Thanks. It's great to be
0: with you too. Thank you for joining us. And you're you're a minister at a church in London, an assistant minister there, and also a, a tutor in Christian ethics. That's what you... That's what you spend most of your time doing, that's right, isn't it?
1: Uh, yeah, I do a range of different things, mm. uh, involved in the parish, uh, involved in, in teaching ethics in number of institutions, and
0: involved in different things in the wider church as well, yeah. Mm. And we'll talk a little bit about your the work you've been doing on the LLF programme in a minute, but Brilliant. just so we can get to know you a little bit, mm. um, do you want to just tell us about something that you like to do in your spare time, what there is of it?
1: Uh, yeah, well, what there is of it. Um, one of the nice things is that, uh, I have a sort of portfolio ministry, as we've just said, involving different things. So I have a nice variety of different things that fill my time. The danger is they all <laughs> do fill most of my time. Um, things not connected with work that I enjoy is you know, time with uh, time with um, family, uh, time walking the dog. Sometimes those who <laughs> go together. We've got a chocolate Labrador called Bramble, who's getting older now. Which, uh, uh, yeah enjoy yeah, walking her. Um, my other interest outside of theology is um british politics um i studied politics as part of my first degree and i enjoy sort of reading political history political
0: biography uh, as well as, as one of the things that i do in my in my spare time oh, that's fascinating thanks for that and i do believe or i and remember that you spoke at a tft conference years ago and I was trying to look up the year but I think it's before we properly were keeping records of these things so I don't know if you remember
1: but we I don't remember that I'm trying to think where I was work-wise then but it must it must be 15 years ago or something like that I think because we've been in London now 11 years we were in Bristol two years before that I think it was I think it was I was in Oxford before that so it is quite a long time ago when Martin was was director yeah it was a real privilege to to be there and and meet people over that uh, uh,
0: over that conference Yes, we loved having you. And um, I'm sure you. some of our members listening will remember you Member, uh, coming right. to speak yeah. that time as well. Right. So today we're going to talk a little bit about disagreeing well mm. on biblical sexuality in particular. And I know you've just come out of the uh, process of having spent three years, I, th- I think, in the living in love and faith process within the Church of England. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you found that time?
1: Yes, yes, just to say, obviously, um, some uh, listening will will, will know about living in love and faith, or what I'll probably call LLF, because that's the sort of acronym that we use to keep it nice and short. Um, As you say, it's been a a project over a number of years, yeah, I think about three and a bit years, that the Church of England has been doing, uh, looking at issues surrounding identity, sexuality, relationships and marriage. And and basically, it's an attempt to provide teaching and learning resources for the whole church. So across the range of different views that you find uh, within the Church of England, uh, you know, the Church of England officially would would take um, what I would see as a biblical traditional view on sexuality. But there's a range of different views, and that range of different views was involved in the process and in producing the resources that are available online. There's a book, there's a course. Um and it was a really challenging time because uh you know, the these issues, um, as we all know are, are very complex, very personal often quite painful. They're quite divisive within churches, including the Church of England. So it was it was, it was challenging. Um, I, I began, I have to confess, sort of wondering, you know, would we all stay the course? Some people sadly did leave because they weren't happy with it. But on the whole, we, we stuck together and worked well as a team. And that was exciting and stimulating. We worked together across our differences. We expressed those differences sometimes strongly. Um, but we had this common sort of vision that we wanted to try and help the whole church understand better different aspects in relation to sexuality, identity, relationships, and marriage. So the biblical material, the Christian doctrine and ethics, how the church has handled it in history, what science says about it, how society is changing, all of those different areas. And there was a big team of about 40 or so people, um, clergy, um, scholars, uh, who were working uh, in all those different areas. And then I was part of a coordinating group, which was mainly bishops in the church, but also um, others um, people like Elaine Storkey, who people here may know where uh, was uh, another consultant. It was great working with her again. And then others like Giles Goddard, um, who would you know, take a very different view. He's a clergyman in a civil partnership um, and we, uh, we've we known each other for quite a long time and it was nice to, to work together with him and others uh, across the differences on the project.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a fascinating time. But mm. um, like you say, it sounds like it would have had its challenges yeah. and um, been an interesting process. Are you relieved that the project is or your, your kind of involvement in it has kind of drawn to an end now?
1: Um I don't know if relieved is the right word actually. In one, in one sense yes, but actually, you know, but it, it's been a sort of bereavement process. I've talked to other people who are part of it. So I really miss um you know, we were fortunate because it was took so long. We we'd had two years working together in the real world, in the flesh, before we had to make everything go on to Zoom. And that was good. I think working with those sorts of difficult questions purely virtually would have been very difficult. But because we'd worked, worked together, we'd shared our stories together, at one particularly powerful point in the, in the process, um, we'd got to know each other well. Um, and thankfully, because it's now being, if you like, rolled out within the Church of England, I'm still involved in that... Um, Different dioceses in the Church of England are hosting days to introduce people to the materials, and those of us who produce them um, often go along and you know have a sort of conversation like we've just had about what it what it is and why people should uh, maybe engage with it, and and so I'm still connecting in different ways with people who are part of it, which is nice. And um, as I say, we now wait to see how God uses it, what the Church makes of it in the course of um, this year, and then probably the Church of England will be making some significant decisions next year in 2022. Um, and the nature of this is I will still, I guess, be involved and certainly interested in what's going on there. Um, so yeah, so I miss I I miss um the uh, the friendship um and the sense of working together. Um, but there is a bit of relief. It it, it was quite time consuming.
0: <laughs> of course, of course, yes. And it's fascinating to see how it's being received by the church and as the Church of England gets into this next stage of individual churches digesting it and engaging with it how how that you know what happens with that I suppose for the future.
1: Yes no I I think that's right you know it it, it, it is a a clear case study and you can't please all the people all the time but it is interesting seeing how you know different people are reacting to it across the different ranges of experience and and, and theology uh, within the Church of England Um, and yeah our hope and our prayer obviously is that it will you know it will uh, enable people to relate better and you know, discern together what
0: God is saying to us. Mm. So it's, it's fascinating to kind of hear what you've been working on the last few years. And I read an article that you wrote, I think it was a, a lecture that you gave at Ridley Hall mm. at end of last year in 20, 2020, yeah. uh, called Is There a Spirituality of Good Disagreement? So I, in our conversation today, I wanted to kind of bring out some of your points in that. And then secondly, to sort of move on to looking at... Uh, whether christians everyday christians perhaps those who are same-sex attracted whether it's right for them also to be engaging in these sorts of mm. conversations with people with you know quite strongly um, different views but maybe if we could sort of start by looking at your article mm. um i guess this is in the context of living in a increasingly polarized world american politics social media lockdown it feels like all these different trends in our society have have me- have meant that many of us have, I don't know, it feels like people are taking sides more and yeah. uh, losing the sort of civility and discourse that perhaps we used to have. And I was just wondering if you feel that Christians can be really distinctive and perhaps even missional in the way that we model disagreeing well to a, to a, a watching world. Mm, No, I
1: I think that's a really important question, something that perhaps we we lose sometimes by getting into our own disagreements and strong views (laughs) uh, and and arguments. And, you know, we can't avoid those and we'll probably talk a bit more about how we do those well. Um, But, yeah, I think our society is in danger of of, of losing something really important in terms of um, civil discourse, uh, of being able to... uh, express our views strongly but respectfully in relation to other people you know I guess you know here we might think back to Brexit and some of that slightly calmed down now but we can see some of the things even in responses to lockdown and Covid and vaccines and so on and and there are certain virtues I think that are needed to be able to relate well across differences um patience respect humility penitence peacefulness graciousness you know ultimately love I guess even across difference um and, and those are virtues that we should I hope be seeing uh, growing in our lives as individuals as fruit of the spirit that we should be seeing embodied in the life of the church in a way that people who are experiencing sometimes the opposite of those in um, their workplaces and their families on their social media will say there's something here that's really attractive uh, you know, where does, this, where does this come from? And obviously we would say ultimately it comes from God in Christ being <laughs> like this and God's spirit being in us uh, and making us like this. And, and that therefore is, you know, something that has a missional aspect to it. Um, and so I think we need to, you know, we need to think through how we have our discourse on contentious issues, not least issues around sexuality uh, in such a way that we do indeed model something good as to how we handle it. And if we do it badly, then we do damage to our
0: to our mission. Yes, absolutely. And one of the points that seems to come across strongly in your talk is about listening, but, mm. but listening well. Yes. And you quote uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his well-known book, Life Together, where he says, there's also a kind of listening with half an ear that presumes already to know what the other person has to say. This impatient inattentive listening really despises the other christian and finally is only waiting to get a chance to speak and thus to get rid of the other
1: mm.
0: and um i was really interested in that sort of that idea of deep listening which is which is truly respectful um but i just wondered if we if we're listening to people with you know sharply dis, um, different views how do we how do we Protect ourselves from being kind of drawn in, and um, and our biblical views as we see it being kind of overwhelmed as mm. we as we listen so deeply to the other person.
1: Mm. No, I thought that is a challenge. I think many of us feel. You know, I remember discovering that quote from Bonhoeffer um, um, many years ago and being really really challenged by it. Um, and I think you know one of the things, as you've in a sense just articulated is that we shy away from that partly out of fear. Um, And of course, one of the the regular (laughs) themes we've been hearing it again at Easter, you know, fear not, you know, is a central biblical theme. And so part of of this is, you know, is is, is prayer and asking God to embolden us. And not so that we can just go in and tell everyone, but embolden us to listen, and to listen carefully, uh, and to listen for his voice and the voices of others, including those who uh, we disagree with because God can speak <laughs> through sometimes most surprising of people um, and you know that's you know you, you see that uh, in the New Testament as people come to terms with suddenly you know Saul is coming wanting to come when he comes to the church and he's said I persecute us you know in all sorts of ways God often speaks through people we don't Expect, um, and at the heart of the Christian faith for me is is listening to God, listening to God supremely in Scripture, um, coming back to Scripture, uh, but also listening to the, for the voice of uh, the Spirit through others, and uh, you know, in particular circumstances. Um, and so that that openness um, that is not naive that there are, are dangers out there, one can be listening to things that could lead you astray, but that puts a trust in in God. Um, and um, asks for wisdom and discernment in in what you hear. Um, But that then requires listening to be able to discern. If you just, you know, paraphrasing what you just read from Bonhoeffer, if you just know, I know what this person's going to say and I know what my answer to it is, then you're not listening to them. And one of the things of living in love and faith that was really impressive for me, and we hope we will see in the wider church, is that deeper listening um, and understanding something more uh, partly about someone else's experience and perspective, but
0: also something more about God and the truth that maybe you, you'd not heard before. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. And that kind of, that deep listening and not making assumptions about other people and thinking we know what they, hmm. they're they going to say sort of brings us on to, you seem to uh, talk quite a lot about character, the character that we right. embody in this whole process. And you talk about cultivating humility which helps us to get away from from being arrogant about our interpretation of the bible recognizing that none of us has a perfect understanding of what the bible is saying Mm. Um, and how do we how do we kind i was just wondering if we cultivate that humility is there a danger that we take our place ourselves to a place of sort of constant doubting about what we really do believe so we're we're so open to what other people have to say that we are left unsure whether what we hold to is really right or not and whether that might be a yeah a problem for our assurance perhaps you know it, it could be
1: for some people and these are things I think you know we are all <laughs> thankfully different characters we all have different psychologies we all We all react in different ways to um, disagreement, to uncertainty, to to a lack of clarity. you know, we're seeing that you know, in relation to COVID and the way different people respond to the guidance or to whether or not the vaccines are safe. And, you know, the same thing applies also theologically and within the life of the church. We have a range of different types of um, engagement um, in terms of how important it is that we are sure of what we believe, how we respond then to people who believe differently. Um, And so we we need to be aware of, you know, where we are on that spectrum and and what are, if you like, the sins we're more likely to fall into of either not listening and just being dismissive when we should be learning, or being so eager to be humble and learn that we forget actually, you know, we have heard God teach, and God has said this in the scripture, and it is okay to say that and disagree with someone. And and, and we need to know ourselves to a certain extent to be able to engage appropriately then, you know, in in our disagreements. Um, But, you you know, positively, I think, you know, We should all say we've always got more to learn, that a fair amount of what we currently think is probably wrong and we need, I saw something recently, Tom Wright, saying, you know, probably 30% of what I believe is wrong. I don't know what 30% know. (laughs) You know, that that, that, that sort of willingness to recognise that um, and that you know, ultimately, our faith is not in our own belief system, but our faith is in God. Um, and yes, that means coming back to God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture. And so, when we disagree, you know, most helpfully, it is good as to to come back and see. And that's what we found several times, I think, in the Living and Love and Faith process. Come back and see how our disagreements come back to um, different ways of either understanding particular parts of Scripture or more deeply understanding the nature of Scripture uh, and to what extent we can rely on Scripture, you know, as a a trustworthy and reliable guide as to what who God is and what God uh, says for uh, how we should live our lives. Um, And so coming back to Scripture as a touchstone is, is one of the ways, I think, if we are concerned about entering in humble and willing to listen and learn that we might be able to sort of realize that we we're not just letting ourselves free to whatever
0: whatever tossed about on winds and waves as (laughs) says in ephesians Um, yeah of course so that's that's kind of our anchor yeah Uh, we're kind of we 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 have humility but we have the anchor of the bible which which um always brings us brings us closer to what god is saying to us and um one of the other terms that you use in your in your talk is about being undefended in terms mm. of I kind of maybe our posture as we engage with people who disagree uh, on theological matters, and um, we don't need to come at it kind of closed and defended. But yeah. we, I think you talk about kind of unleashing the Word of God, point or constantly pointing to the Word of God, and letting God's Word defend itself. It doesn't mm. need us to articulate great arguments to defend it, it can take care of itself
1: yeah, and I think that's why I think there's a quote there, you know, from Spurgeon about him defending a lion or whatever, you know. And and I, I you know, I, I think that again is something that I've sometimes struggled to learn. I like a good argument. I like to, you know, um, you know, defend myself when I'm under attack, and, you know, but but actually learning to um, let God be God, let God's Word do the work of God's Word, it will it will be effective. Um, to put our trust in, in in God and God's Word is much more important. Than you know, defending one's own position uh, and one's own stance effectively and knocking out of the park those who disagree with you. Um, And so, yes, we do need to, you know, keep coming back to to the scriptures um, as, as, again, as our guide. Um, trust God to defend himself. But again, you know, I mean, just gone through Holy Week and Easter, <laughs> you know, cross and resurrection at the center of our faith as, as the model shows us that, you know, that God is undefended uh, and God's victory sometimes comes in the most surprising ways of apparent defeat. Um, you know, Jesus in Gethsemane, you know, Peter is the defensive one with his sword who wants to get in and defend what he believes and defend his rabbi and all the rest of it. Um, Jesus is saying, I could call on legion of angels um, but I don't and he goes and is led and is silent before his accusers you know and, and we need to learn that sort of model I think because that, if you know, if that's what we see in Christ and see supremely in uh, um, what we've just been celebrating in Holy Week and Easter, then that is the pattern of life if we are being united to Christ and dying with Him and rising with Him that should, in some sense, shape how we then engage with those who, for whatever reason, are opposing us, um, just as Jesus engaged with those who opposed Him in that way.
0: Yes, and what I what I really loved about your article um, on the spirituality of good disagreement was it it wasn't so much concerned with our technique or our apologetic. It was more concerned about the the kind of the character that we bring, hmm. the tone, and the the way that we relate to others, and also the faith that we have in God to to keep us. Uh, to hold us and to and to keep us uh, safe and that we don't need to fear but we can trust in him and we can constantly point to his word so it there was a yeah it kind of felt very faith-filled and it was almost like describing a discipleship journey as we as we discuss things with other people
1: yeah, no, I think I think that's really important. And it was it was great actually. Um, I've just started teaching at Ridley Hall in, in Cambridge which is a sort of evangelical uh college in in Cambridge. Um and um they have a regular um apparently spirituality lecture. And I was you know asked would, I, would I contribute to it? And I thought, Oh, it's not my main area and I'm not quite sure, but the, the timing of it was such it was just before or just after, I think just after Living in Love and Faith came out, and I'd obviously been on this journey we talked about earlier for several years. Um and I thought actually some reflection on that um, and being forced to think of it in terms of what you in a sense Spencer just described—spirituality and discipleship—rather than a theological arguments or the biblical mm-hmm. texts or whatever—actually, you know, who are we as we engage um, with the beliefs that we have, but with those who who don't have those beliefs? How are we Christ-like in doing that? Was was a really you know helpful thing to be encouraged mm-hmm. to think about and give uh, give some thoughts on, uh, because it's something that we we can we can not pay attention to and then we just often fall into worldly ways of of doing things um and uh, you know you know paul is quite clear you know we do not fight with the weapons of this world he talks i'm not coming with rhetoric and persuasion but in weakness and uh, you know th- those things are quite important within um the the new testament pattern stemming obviously from christ himself but then in
0: um the uh in, in the, the rest of the new testament as well mm-hmm. and so having come through this process with living in love and faith do you as you've to embody this um this approach to theological disagreement do you feel that there's ways as you reflect that you've been perhaps changed through the process and, and grown in it
1: well I think you know some of the things that we've just talked about are things which um you know I I have learned sometimes learned you know golly I never realized this before sometimes learned I hope in the sense of actually I need to be better at doing it in this way because I've I've failed by that sort of process of of working uh, across difference, uh, you know. In, the, in in this area, you know, I've also learned more. I think about the complexities of uh, the so many different questions are connected. One of the things that we do here is, you know, it is big picture, identity, sexuality, relationships, and marriage, and to, to realise, you know, how many different areas this touches on, and how personal those are, to realise afresh, again, the, the the pain of many LGBT, same-sex attracted Christians, um, from the ways in which they have been treated by the church, and to acknowledge the ways in which I and other people who hold my views perhaps have contributed to that, um, blind to that, and thinking through, well, what does that mean in terms of you know where do we need to recognize and express sorrow repentance for things that we that we have done and begin to change not necessarily changing our views if we still convince they are right but change the ways in which we have expressed those or uh, implemented them in the way in which we've had different policies or engaged with individual people i think those have been things that have uh, again been brought um, to the fore for me in thinking those things t- through. Um, the need to to try and find agreement wherever possible, um, to have as much unity as you can in good conscience have, uh, and I might just be agreeing about what you disagree about and why you disagree about it, but at least doing that rather than just having a pure disagreement, I think is really uh, important. Um, and I think we've we've all learned um through that process in, in new ways. So it was interesting. I was chatting with someone who I know I've known quite well on the um uh, the other side, isn't that sort of polarised, unhelpful manner of, of these discussions? Uh, so we talk about identity, uh, and, and one still hears sometimes, you know, um, the point being made to people like me, it's it's different for you. Um, your identity isn't at stake in the same way you're not gay, same-sex attracted. And clearly there, are, there is some truth in that between the difference of different people depending on their sexualities. But this person was saying, I, but I can see now how actually your identity uh, in terms of uh, your evangelical Christianity uh, and how you believe God speaks you to the Bible is actually quite, <laughs> quite at stake in some of these things as well. they really matters to who you are. It's not just an intellectual argument or exercise. It does touch on who you are, who you understand yourself to be as a follower of Jesus, you know, and that is therefore also a matter of identity for you. Um, and I think they sort of realize that in new ways through being part of that process, having um, you know, thought the identity issues were more to do with those Uh, for whom it was a question of sexual identity realising that there are also important questions of identity when it comes to your understanding of God and your pattern of belief and discipleship Um, which was which was quite interesting and again encouraging to see other other people on similar journeys of learning through this process
0: yeah that is fascinating and that kind of brings us nicely onto the sort of second area I wanted to talk about today which um, it's, I suppose if I can sort of describe you a little bit as, you know, you're a tutor in in Christian ethics. You're obviously very well versed in the Bible. You're clear on what you believe. Um, in some ways, because of that position that you have, you, you kind of debate this area publicly on behalf of the the church, which holds to the traditional understanding of biblical sexuality. And by sort of publicly debating it, you, you help equip us Sort of everyday believers with um, an approach, some some good thinking in these areas, and you influence policy and doctrine within the the wider church. And also, as you just mentioned, you you, you to say that you're not you're not same sex attracted. You're you're married to a to a woman and Liz, and um, therefore, to some extent, although you've you have said it does it does it sort of have an impact on your identity and and worldview and so forth you perhaps you have a particular ability to grapple with these issues without your perhaps what i might describe as your sort of personal life choices being at stake and so i just wanted to kind of ask a few questions around what it's like for people who aren't in a position like yours whether they should be engaging in these debates with mm. people who hold to a more liberal or progressive point of view um I know towards the end of your article on um, good disagreement you 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 mentioned that we can't simply agree to disagree in these areas and I just wanted to start with you know do you think that if we if we sit down with people and debate these matters whether we we might not be explicitly saying it but are we perhaps sending out the message that this is an area that we can agree to disagree on and you know your your view is as valid as my view. Do you think that's a risk if we, if we kind of keep this conversation open in in that way?
1: Hmm, no, thank you. I think you know just to, to pick up on what you said. I think. It is really important different people have different callings different gifts different roles um and you've sort of described some things that have, have made uh, me who i am and the thing that my role perhaps is is the sort of thing that you you described you know, I think it would be very wrong to sort of say every Christian needs to be doing this. Each of us needs to prayerfully reflect as to, you know, how God is calling us, what it is safe, sensible for us to do, given who we are and the risks we have in terms of temptation or mental health. All, all of those sorts of questions, you know, are really important. And I, I wouldn't want to sort of downplay those or if everyone has got to go down a particular path. Um, I think I would... I can see the danger in what you've described in terms of uh, you know just entering into a discussion might send out the message that this is you know a secondary matter. It doesn't it doesn't really have any great significance at all. All that matters is you know the, what you what you believe and that you're nice and believing it or whatever. There is a danger in that, but you know, pardon me, want to say, but actually. <laughs> surely even perhaps it's particularly those things that are of primary importance that we we can and must discuss with other people who have a different view from us you know what is the alternative to discussing it um you know the alternative is just that we don't talk to each other or that we you know in worst case scenarios which thankfully we don't experience that often that we turn to violence you know there are other ways of dealing with deep disagreements about things that really matter to people I think discussing them is one of the best we can do compared to the alternatives um Yes, there are dangers, um, but I don't think that the fact that you're willing to discuss something with someone who you have a fundamental disagreement with means that you're thereby saying there isn't a fundamental disagreement. No, it's because there is a disagreement that could prove to be quite fundamental that you need to talk about it. Um, you know, if we don't talk about it, Coming back to what we were saying a little while ago, how will we learn where we are in error? Uh, putting it another way, if we don't talk about it, how can we hope to persuade others of where we think they are in error? <laughs> you know, and, unless there is some form of dialogue and conversation, um, we're not actually going to um, I think, be able to live well together. Um, so I, I think that's important, exactly what form that takes, how central it is on any particular area. We've talked about Brexit, COVID, uh, American politics, sexuality in so many areas, you know. So some people can live with their disagreement without really talking about it with people, but there will be some for some people who is important that they engage with those they disagree with in that particular area, politically, theologically, or whatever. And then it's
0: important if they do that, I think that we do it in a Christ-like way as far as possible. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. That makes a lot of sense. I know okay. when I've um, <laughs> when I've when I've mentioned that I believe. That this is a primary matter. It kind of seems to raise the stakes in the conversation and that can that can feel quite a, an upsetting or offensive thing to say because essentially you're saying to someone who's particularly teaching from a more liberal or pro- progressive view that they are potentially leading people right. away from salvation. So it really, yep. you know, it's quite a it's quite a difficult thing mm. to to articulate and in, in a warm way, really. Mm.
1: No, no, I think that's right. But I think, you know, I think it's important. To recognize clearly, you know, there are um there are people who would hold a different view on sexuality who hold the same view about its significance and importance, you know, that they actually Think that the things that maybe you and I would say and believe, you know, are seriously an error and they are damaging to people, you know, and you know, will challenges at times, you know, these things either in and of themselves or certainly when they're sometimes expressed, you know, can seriously, you know, damage people's health, and can lead people to commit suicide. You know, th- those things are really important, and I wouldn't expect them if that's what they believe, not to issue that warning to me, which I then need to to weigh and and, and heed, you know, and similarly, therefore, I hope that there's a willingness you know on other people's sides to realize that um you know we need to we need to hear not just what people believe but also how important they believe that is and how serious they therefore think that disagreement is um again that's something that one should try and talk about rather than just you know put that down and walk out of the conversation um um but actually denying that you know is is not going to be helpful you know i think that's you know one of the areas i'm have some experience in connection with this whole area of ecumenical discussions. And those actually only really work when Christians are seriously honest about the nature of what their disagreements are rather than pretending they're not really all that, that serious and, and so on. Actually, you've got to be honest um, about those and then see, you know, can you find a new way through them or what does it mean that we have these differences for the pattern of our relationships? And to a certain extent, that's the sort of thing that we are doing often within the same denomination, rather than between, say, Protestants and Roman Catholics, you know, on these issues around sexuality at the moment. Um, and I think the same principle applies of, you know, of of honesty, but hopefully also graciousness in that honesty. Um, and that honesty sometimes will mean saying things that are hard to say and even harder perhaps to hear. Um, but would be a mistake to
0: simply avoid and brush under the carpet yeah no that makes sense so honesty doesn't have to be like a rude bluntness we can we can do it in the context of a relationship and loving the other person yeah ideally you know that is you know that's the context in which you know in which, in which
1: it happens and you know we, we know that in all sorts of different relationships you know actually having difficult conversations is easier if there is some sort of wider context and relationship there whether that's in family or in the workplace or in the church fellowship you know actually it's much better if there is that within which one can locate and part of the problem with things like social media that we were talking about earlier is that isn't there. Um, and therefore, um, people probably don't handle it as well. But it's also not, if you like, that buffer of all sorts of other positive things that make it you know, good to keep on having the conversation, even if it's hard. Um, you, you either walk away from it or you're just unpleasant towards those you disagree with. Um, yeah. And the yeah. danger is that that can easily happen in, in the church, including over issues of sexuality, um, because we've divided into different camps who don't know each other, um, and therefore we treat each other in
0: ways that we shouldn't treat people who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm interested because in within True Freedom Trust, we a lot of our members are same sex attracted, and I just wonder if having these conversations with those from a, a different point of view whether it's different for those of us who experience same-sex attraction, particularly where maybe there's part of us that would really like the the more liberal, progressive viewpoint to be true, Mm -hmm. and whether there's a danger that by getting deeply drawn into these conversations that it's it's going to almost seduce us into believing what we deep down partly do want to believe. So whether there's some caution... Mm -hmm that we should give to particularly the same-sex attracted believer getting too much into these conversations if we feel that that could be vulnerable that could kind of have a vulnerability for us in terms of our own orthodoxy. Mm.
1: No and again I think that that picks up and sharpens some of what we were talking about a moment ago in terms of you know, different people having different callings, uh, different people being in different situations, each of us needing to, you know, take care of ourselves, Um, all of that is important Uh, and clearly um, there are lots of different factors there but one will be, you know, to what extent is what you're discussing here something that has much more serious personal, existential faithfulness and discipleship type impact on your life um, than uh, someone who, who doesn't uh, as immediately have that impact. Uh, so I think that, that that's really important um, that, what, that one, one thinks and, and, and prays that through uh, and works out what that means. Um, again, some of what you've described, I think one needs to, again, repeat what we were saying earlier about do not fear and about putting one's trust in God and in the scriptures and the spirit. Um, the reality is, again, one can't escape there are liberal perspectives out there. Um, There are possibly, in in, whatever congregation we're in, there are probably some people who might hold those views. We've got to work out, you know, how are we going to relate if if we are same-sex attracted and believe our calling is the traditional understanding of sexuality, how are we going to um, respond to that uh, reality? Um, And I think, you know, I may may be being unfair here, but the sense I get sometimes is that, um some of those who have significantly changed their position are people whose pattern of story is quite often something along the lines of being you know in 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 the closet or maybe even denial towards themselves about the nature of their sexuality and wrestling with it on their own, not having support, not having the the sort of fellowship that TFT uh, provides, um, uh, who then, you know, eventually um, go off and read something and then they they, they flip and they find something that makes them feel, oh, I don't need to struggle in this way on my own anymore, and they become powerful advocates, you know, for, uh, you know, a, a different liberal revisionist perspective. Yeah, that is also a danger by not engaging and by hiding away um, and so i think one needs to recognize the dangers are you know not just on on one side and one of the lessons i think from those sorts of patterns is you know if one is in, engaging generally you know i try and do this myself but even more so if you are someone who is same-sex attracted you know don't go about it alone engaged with friends with support with people who are praying for you if you're starting to read and explore ideas that are you know ones that you maybe tend towards but you also conceal are weak biblically you know talk it through with people pray it through with people don't just go and go, oh no i've read this book i've now changed my mind and, and be honest about those th- those doubts with people and, and pray them through and you know say you know oh, or I really want to know what your will is. Um, I know that might be hard for me. Um, but I want to know I want to know what it is even if it's hard uh, because doing your will is what, what matters. Um, and then going back, as we've said, to the scriptures and doing it in the context of openness and support and honesty with people who are there to help you if you're going to do that. And, you know, clearly you and others in TFT, um, you know, for me, having been involved in the past, Martin was a great model of that when he came and spoke in colleges where I, um, uh, uh, when I was involved in teaching people like Wes Hill and people living out. There are people, Ed Shaw, others who are doing that in quite a prominent way. Um, but there are many others you know one of the things from being the tft conference was realizing how many people you know they're just getting on with their lives as christians this is something which you know i remember having a conversation with someone who it was only in the context of tft conference or similar groups that they were able to talk about those things other people in their church they didn't feel they could but they had that support and that's really important and how you then work out how you engage with viewpoints or people that take different views is is a matter for for wise discernment and taking counsel with others so that you don't put yourself in a position where you're actually you're going to hurt and harm yourself even if your aim is to try
0: and you know benefit yourself and others yeah thank you that sounds very wise and i i know within my own barnabas support group where we have a, a number of tft members who mm. come together to be encouraged we have been looking recently at just some of the revisionist arguments but- engaging with them trying to understand them but as you say doing that in a supportive environment not just on our own mm. wrestling with them and thinking how we might respond to them and that's that's been an encouragement to us that's helped us to articulate our own beliefs yeah. perhaps more powerfully mm. rather than just the ostrich approach of sort of hoping that these these uh, other beliefs will go away yeah. and and then as you say you're setting yourself up for a fall perhaps mm. One one moment of weakness in the future when you read this revisionist material yeah. and you're suddenly overwhelmed with it because you've never come across it before. Mm-hmm.
1: No, no, that's really, really helpful to hear and really encouraging you know, that sort of thing is happening because that I think is, you know, a, a concrete example of what I was sort of saying of actually not running away from this, not doing it on your own, but finding a way together. Um, you know, as part of if you're putting on the whole armour of God, you know, it's also, as you say, it can be encouraging to realise that actually quite a lot of the arguments that many people just rush to because they want to believe, there's actually quite weak arguments, either biblically, exegetically, or logically, uh, and actually that can be a strength <laughs> to encourage you um, uh, in your in in your discipleship. So, you know, I think those sorts of things are are really important, and it's really important. You know as uh you know i can contribute to what i can contribute as an ethicist and an academic um, but i do so as a married man who doesn't struggle with same-sex attraction and, and not be part of my life experience um those like yourself like ed uh Shaw, and others who can speak from their own experience for um, but, uh, a biblical understanding have a much more powerful, uh, I think, voice uh, talking out of experience and telling their own stories uh, if they're able to do that than, than someone like I can have.
0: Sure, sure, yeah. No, that's it. Sounds like we kind of we both bring different things to the to the table in that way, and it's yeah. good to yeah, it's good to engage with these. Yeah, and something... but again, you know, coming back, you know, we bring
1: different things because of different callings, different gifts, different characters, and it's important for each each person to work out what that might mean for them. And for some it will it will mean, you know, you know, not not going into these things in great detail and depth because it isn't helpful for them. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but you know, if that is the case, it's good to, you know, talk about why that's where you feel you need to respond with others um and and get support and 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 prayer in, in your in your discipleship and in your ongoing learning.
0: Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Now some people might be perhaps those who are critical of processes like llf they might just say well these revisionist teachers they're they're simply false teachers and we shouldn't be engaging with them just to pick out a a few verses from the book of titus it says you know avoid foolish controversies genealogies dissensions and quarrels about the law they're unprofitable and worthless as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful he is self-condemned um so are those people who are presenting and teaching in particular a revisionist point of view are they false teachers are they divisive and by engaging with them are we giving them a platform Mm, This is a a
1: challenging question, and and obviously the answer is that they can be. Um, One can't say no, they're they're not, Uh, and one can't say that of, you know, um, any teacher. That's the the challenge. It's why those of us who teach are warned of the seriousness of what we do. You know, the, the category of false teacher you know, is uh, one, you know, we've just had the horrors recently of the reports on Ravi Zacharias and Jonathan Fletcher, you know, people who, in terms of their orthodoxy, we would never think of as false teachers whatsoever. But we can see, you know, that actually, you know, in a real genuine way, they were false teachers, people have taught wolves and sheep's clothing, and so on. Um, you know, my experience is that, yes, there are some who take different views, um, who are possibly fitting within titus that you've just read but then you I would say sometimes I'm worried there's some people with orthodox views who seem to stir up divisions and so you know it's, it's, it's not a fault only on you know one part of the spectrum of views most of the people who I have engaged with are you know they're driven by compassion, um, by a concern for justice, by a care for them, for, for those who they can see are, are struggling and finding that difficult. They're not particularly about power plays and dividing the church. Um, you know, I would say that they are misjudged what compassion or justice requires in this situation. But most of them I, I, I see as you know, having, if you like, those sorts of motives and aspirations behind what they're doing. Um, not all, but but most do. And one needs to, you know, one needs to be aware in conversation that actually you dis- discover, and I say, I've, I've done this both with those who share my views and with those who don't share my views. Actually, this is someone who really is, you know, not listening, not interested in learning, is just out to cause trouble, is out to actually cause harm to me and to others, then one responds in a different way than if you say, OK, we disagree here, and this is quite serious, but actually I can see that you are someone who is seeking to be, you know, faithful um, to Christ. Uh, I think you're going about it in a wrong way, perhaps a very seriously wrong way. Um, and so I think, you know, how that maps into false teachers... Uh, uh, thankfully you're not a false teacher just because at some point some of what you're teaching is false um, false teachers has that sort of higher sense to it and it ties into some of those character flaws and other aspects that you've just highlighted um, and so I wouldn't want to sort of map um, you know someone holding a, a more liberal revisionist view on sexuality equals always a false teacher um, I, I want not say there's teaching there that I would want to question challenge you know and so on but um I, I would be cautious about too simplistic a sort of connecting of those and you know as i've said we need to be aware that there are people who are thoroughly orthodox who are false teachers um in in, in that broader sense sadly um so I, I don't that is avoiding the question or
0: <laughs> or, 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 or not uh, sure. that sounds that's um, some very wise principles there and again you're kind of you' sort of warning us off just being simplistic in these matters and being discerning and looking looking deeper into the character of the person and And I think also, just with you know that that first verse that I quoted in Titus talking about foolish controversies, genealogies from what we were talking about earlier, this the area of biblical sexuality is not just some intellectual curiosity, no. it is it is something which is of deep importance. Yeah. it's not it's not a trivial squabble. It is something which we do need to talk about.
1: No, no, I think that's right. And, you know, obviously, as Christians, we kind of... Disagreements over all sorts of things, which are you know fascinating, and maybe quite important, but are not really significant for people's lives and and, and well-being, or you know even <laughs> clearly of eternal significance. You know, you know th- th- those things can often get our our attention. We can think of a whole range of different things, you know, that probably fall into that. And we've experienced a lot of some of those at different times. Um, but these these questions, although they have their more theoretical intellectual aspects, they are far from simply abstract theological questions they are real practical existential personal questions about you know as living in love and faith says questions of identity you know who am I questions about you know does God love me given that I have these experiences or I've lived in this way um, how do I live faithfully given my sexuality you know how should the church respond to people um, who are living in ways that the church maybe doesn't feel it can approve but who nevertheless they want to um, draw to Christ and able to follow Christ faithfully all of all of those are very real practical questions they are not um they're not the sort of controversies about genealogies and so on but, um, that, that um uh, that um the is talking
0: about uh, Paul is talking about writing to titus yeah, um, yeah yeah no that that's that makes a lot of sense okay Andrew my final kind of question to bring is is more like a little case study for you so I'd just mm-hmm. be interested in your thoughts on this it's if you there's maybe imagine someone perhaps a tft member who um it's clear on their sort of orthodox views on biblical sexuality but they've got friends perhaps um professing christians who would take a more revisionist point Mm. of view and this tft member might just say hey i've got a decent friendship with this person but i just don't want to open up this can of worms i feel particularly as our friendship is you know built upon our common christianity if we start talking about what the bible says on biblical sexuality it's just going to be too toxic and it's you know I, i want to keep my friendship positive and i'm just worried that if if we start going there it's just going to damage our friendship i just just wonder what you might say to that person
1: uh i think your your questions and your sensitivities sound very sensible it is a matter of discernment of calling Uh, you know, I obviously have, you know, I've I've now got people I would call friends who I I I met because we disagreed on this issue in church debates and discussions. Um we now, when we get together, we will still talk about those things, but we will talk much more about our lives generally. You know, a friendship has come out of focusing on that. If you've got a friendship that doesn't focus on that, the question is, well, well, why, you know, what why why would I bring it up? You know, if the conversation is is like to damage the relationship, then is is it necessary or is it not necessary? um, and I don't think there's a, an absolute all, uh, you know, an answer that, that fits all relationships. Uh, and certainly, even if it is right to have that conversation at some point, the question as to when is the timing, what is the way of doing it, you know, what's lost if you avoid having that conversation? Um what would be your aim if you went into the conversation? Is your aim to learn? Is your aim to correct them? Is your aim to have a good argument that's probably not going to help the friendship? though no, some friendships flourish on good arguments. Um, you know but if you do venture into it again, some of the things we've talked about about the way you venture into it, you know finding common ground and shared concerns rather than just focusing on your differences. you know how could you possibly believe this? Actually find where you have common ground and if you know if this is someone, you know, who is a DFT member and who takes a conservative view. There is actually, you know, and I think this is one of the things I've found increasingly through my engagement with this, including with Living in Love and Faith, you know, those who experience the same-sex attraction those who identify as gay lesbian you know whether they're conservative or liberal have an enormous amount in common that they can actually sort of they can share and sometimes things that to the rest of the church because those of us who are not try to need to hear uh, from them across <laughs> across their differences when they have a conversation they say but nevertheless we are agreed that the church has behaved badly in this and this or what we need is this this and this and we need to hear those things and if we can hear them from people who who might then disagree well, on some of the sort of ethical questions or church policy questions, then that, that is, is quite good. And that can help, I think, individuals as well to realize that although we disagree on this and you know I wouldn't, I'm wouldn't, i concerned maybe about the way you're living and I'm concerned if I talk to you, I may be led into something I wouldn't want to. There are also positives that may come out of the conversation. So again, be aware of the dangers and the negatives and be wise and avoid them, which may mean not having the conversation, but don't so focus on those that you miss the chance for fruitful conversation and some of the positives that might that might come out of it, um, and uh, yeah, so I think those would be some of the things I would I would say. I don't know if that picks up the sort of scenario you were trying to paint. And yeah, no, they sound like some I'm brilliant very i aware of wise. talking of the <laughs> who's, who's not
0: not in the sort of scenario we're talking about. So I hope I've not been uh, you know, rash or foolish or helpful in what I've said. Thank you, thank um, you so much for your your wise thoughts on that, Andrew. It's been sadly we've kind of. Um, we've we've run out of time Uh, lovely to talk for longer but um, Mm. thank you for um all your thoughts that you shared today and your wisdom that you've brought from your particularly from your sort of recent experience with llf and thank you for the voice that you are and the voice um that clearly articulates the orthodox point of view but with such integrity and compassion and, and not just doing it to kind of win an argument but to kind of you're modelling how to disagree well um, in, a, in a good and godly way. So thank you that you do that and and, and you teach us how to how to do that in our relationships.
1: No, well, thank you, Stuart, for that. Thank you for all that you and TFP do. You know, it's been great for me in terms of my... Uh, uh, growing in knowledge and understanding in this area to first of hand as you described many years ago the experience with with martin and tft and the conference more recently also with friends and living out and so on i'm, I'm just so grateful uh for you and others including i guess many people listening to this uh who uh, offer your own witness uh, and your own example in, in all sorts of ways as well which is a great encouragement and help to me and i know to others so thank you
0: thank you and thank you for your time today andrew brilliant thanks to you Well, my thanks go to Andrew for sharing his wisdom with us and showing us some principles for how to disagree with others in a way that respects them and which also honours God. I hope you found it helpful. You've been listening to the Ascend Higher podcast. For more information and resources, do head to our website at truefreedomtrust.co.uk or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks for listening.